It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Catch Up with Louise Makshari. Hello, my friend. I hope you're feeling well. I hope you had a good week. Um, I had, how was it my week? It was fine. Yeah, I honestly find it so hard to remember like one day to the next. It's been pretty busy, actually, a pretty busy week. Um, and I would say the highlight of it was probably going to the anti-racism march on Saturday in Dublin. Um, we went with the kids and it was the first time, they've been to a few marches now, but it was the first time they actually made it all the way through. Um, and I think that's partially because we kind of built it up a lot in the in the run up um, spent some time chatting with my six-year-old son about why um, we were going, obviously in age-appropriate terms. And uh, it just felt really good to be part of something positive. I think the news recently has been so bleak and if you spend a lot of time on the internet, you can get really bogged down in some of the nastiness that is ever-present there. Um, and it felt good to kind of be out in a crowd of people who were saying, no, we don't subscribe to racism and we're not going to just stand by uh, while these horrible things are happening in our country. Um, And I hope that we'll have more of those kind of things. I hope we'll have more um, days where good people can get out and say, this is what I want Ireland to be. Um, And I hope that uh, next time I'll see you there. It was actually rage and I meant to mention it on last week's episode and I completely forgot when I was um, putting it together. So uh, yeah, next time I'll be bigging it up ahead of time, but I'm sure you heard about it because it was absolutely all over the internet. Um, Anyway, yeah, that's it really. I feel like I, I, I feel like I should have more to tell you about my week, but I just, I got my hair, I changed my hair. That was exciting. Went into Dylan Bradshaw, who is phenomenal. And uh, I now have copper coloured hair. Peachy, Sam calls it. And then Ted says it's orange. So it's somewhere in that family. And that's fun. I, li- I like a change. Every once in a while it makes me feel alive. Um, so we'll see. It's only a semi-permanent. So we'll see how long that goes. But I guess that's the biggest news really for my week. So that says it all. Um, we've got lots to get through today. Uh, lots of news to talk about. Great interview coming up a little bit later. And then myself and Esther had a great laugh talking about the BAFTA. So um, I will just simply keep going. Don't forget, if you want to get in touch, 089-209-6423 is the number. 089-209-6423. Send me your voice notes. Send me your thoughts. And then I use those 
and I answer and respond to them. Um, criticism, feedback, thoughts, all welcome in a bonus episode, which is for the people who've signed up to Patreon. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes so that you can see it there if you haven't signed up. There's two of those mailbag episodes there already and one episode where myself and Jen Gannon talk about the Pamela Anderson documentary. And um, there will be another one of those kind of reflecting on a piece of culture episodes going up soon. So yeah, uh, still time to sign up there. Now though, let's keep going and catch up on the news. Aoife Moore, political correspondent at the Sunday Times Ireland. Hello and welcome back to Catch Up with Louise Makshari. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, that was very formal as if I'm not here every week. I know, but sometimes I feel like you deserve a formal introduction, you know. <laughs> Can't get too casual. I have to make sure you. I appreciate the gravitas of your presence. Um, Always. <laughs> uh, we've got loads of news to talk about, so I feel like we should just get stuck in. And unfortunately, we have to start with some really upsetting news from OMA. Yeah, so um, the news just broke it, broke last night and the news knew, now to break in as three men have been arrested. Um, so there was a attempted murder, um, a shooting of an off-duty police officer in Oma, County Tyrone. Um, most people in the South will actually have heard of Oma, unfortunately, because of the Oma bomb. Mm. Um, it's a lovely wee market town, we're a really mixed community. Um and a lovely folk park. So the de- detective chief inspector, John Caldwell, was shot multiple times by two gunmen. He was coaching um, Wee Boys football. Um, and he was apparently putting the fo- footballs back in the boot of the car when he was approached by two men. Um, he's in a critical state at Alton Galvin Hospital um, in Derry. And three men have now been arrested. Um, there is you know, a lot of conjecture at the minute, but the police have said that they are looking into violent dissident Republicans with a focus on the new IRA. Um the new IRA for people not informed are the dissident Republican group who also killed Lear McKee in Derry a couple of years ago. Um the police said they're keeping an open mind, but they continue to work against those with callous disregard for the community um it's been condemned obviously by everyone from yeah. michelle o'neill to the taoiseach to rishi sunak um and i think for me and a lot of people in the north the feeling is you know a lot of us grew up with this kind of trauma and a lot of us have lived through certain things that you don't want the next generation to have to live through and that's like just a constant reminder that we're not out of the woods yet yeah you know the notion that this um policeman could be shot in front of a child and like the effect not only that that has on that police officer and the police officer's family but then the children yeah um in the vicinity i think that's what makes it i mean it would be bad in like obviously any set of circumstances you know where someone is shot in this way would be terrible but like you know he's putting the footballs in the boot of his car with his son beside him like it is the most callous and nasty like set of circumstances the, 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 the thing is as well that these um, people um, claim to be Republican, um, which is the most galling things um, for people who consider themselves Republican. Know that they say this is, you know, in some sort of this is for some sort of political mm. means. It's not, you know, um, there is no whether you thought of the troubles or not. The war is most definitely over. The troubles um, are over, and there, the thing is, there is no support mm. for this. These people, these people, so do who- not hold support. Who now? Obviously, we don't know who yet who was involved in this, but so, they are talking. There, you have the new IRA have been mentioned. So, who are the new IRA? Yeah. 
Okay, the new IRA are basically like an umbrella group, a kind of uh, a diaspora of old dissident Republicans. So there would have been things, you know, people who split off from the provisional. So there would have been like continuity IRA, 32 mm. county sovereignty movement, mm. different offshoots of the IRA um, who've come together now. Um, I can only speak from my own experience of them because um, dissident Republicanism will always, I think, have a base in Derry. But, you know, the way it very much um, operates in my part of the world is men who might have been involved in the Republican movement, been involved in the provisional IRA during the Troubles, old lads who still think they're fighting a war and what they generally do is groom young, mostly men, into carrying out their dirty work for them. Mm. Um, they will encourage young people in disadvantaged communities to start riots. They will make petrol bombs for them um, to create disruption. Um, we see it time and again, the age of these young people who are being charged with things very, very young. Um, mm. And they didn't learn it from from nowhere. Um, it happens in loyalist communities as well with people like UVF and the UDA. Mm. But it is um, older people who might have grown up during the troubles and and were part involved in paramilitarism um, when they were younger, and now basically using young vulnerable men from vulnerable communities to do their dirty work right. in the name of some ridiculous, disgusting notion of free in Ireland. I don't actually know. This is the thing. I don't understand it even from any point of view because did you genuinely think that by shooting one police officer one time yeah. that that's going to get your point across? It doesn't do you anything other than traumatise people. Yeah, and, and it makes, makes you the enemy. You exactly. It makes you yeah. the enemy of no reasonable person could find any way to defend this. Like, no one could. Like, no one could. So, yeah, yeah. it doesn't make any sense at all. Um, And it is just so awful to see and obviously hopefully it's a one-off and it, it's just yeah, and I think most people would say you know we won't be dragged back no but the people of Uma know better than most no I've seen the that kind of trauma yeah trauma that comes along with this sort of stuff and the thing is I for, I say this all the time but for me what people need to remember is that the peace process is a process mm. and I think the notion of signing the Good Friday Agreement and walking away does a massive disservice to the mm. people um, and only with politicians all coming around the table and talking to these communities and going into communities and improving the lives of people and giving them opportunities that we can actually stamp this out for good. Yeah. Because these people, these predators, flourish when there are jobs and opportunities for yeah. young people. That's yeah. how they're doing it. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, well, um, as you said, three people have been arrested, three men um, aged 38, 45 and 47. So people should know better. Um, mm. Then uh, let's move on. There was a cost of living package announced this week because obviously we are in the middle of a major cost of living crisis. Yeah, so this has been on the cards for quite a while. Um, we know that the cost of living crisis is not going anywhere. Um, so it's a $1.3 billion cost of living package. Um, and there's butts and pieces. So for most of it, it's very targeted, which is what all the charities, St. Francis de Paul, Bernardo's, everyone has been calling for. So people on social welfare, people with young children, um, people who work in hospitality, who drive a car. Um, these are the people you're going to see the most benefit. Mm. Um, so 
the government say, you know, this is a lot more targeted and it's for the most vulnerable in society because that was in line with what was recommended. Mm. Um, you know, we've seen some um, debate over, you know, there was not enough for working people, which also wasn't true because you can be working on, on social welfare. But, yeah. um, you know, the government have said, listen, that, you know, there has already been tax cuts around credit. They increased to the minimum wage um, and, you know, the, the previous cost of living um packages that they've put through so this is for people disproportionately hit by the cost of living so what we're seeing is you know like inflation has gone up but you know social welfare hasn't Mm. also petrol gone up kind of food gone up Mm -hmm. so um carers pensioners loan parents disabled people and other recipients of weekly welfare payments will get a one-off bonus of 200 euro in April, while child benefit will be topped up on a once-off basis at 100 euro per child in June. Um, the lower rate of hospitality for the hospitality sector, so that's bars, hotels, hairdressers and restaurants, is going to be extended until August, um, which was something they had been calling for because obviously with the cost of food and electricity and everything else going up, a lot of small businesses were afraid they were going to have to then close if the VAT rate yeah. went up for them as well. Yeah. So um, for energy credits, everyone is due a 200 euro credit in March, which is that's going to go ahead, but no more after that. Mm. Um, there's some stuff for school transport um, that'll be capped at 125 euro for 25 euro per family. Um, and the reason they said they're doing this is because they want more money in the tank basically come this winter. So they could have given more now, but the kind of feeling was coming into the summer, people be using less energy and we don't know when the war in Ukraine is going to end. We don't want to when inflation is going to peter off. So it's better to have more money coming into the winter mm. than, um, so yeah, like, there was some kind of really disappointing debate from people about, you know, people who don't work getting handouts. Um, we know that that's not the case. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that a really kind of... is a pathetic yeah. and old argument that's... Yeah. Um, and But I understand the other side of it is too, there are people who are depend on the other collar and that's because of like how expensive it is to live in Ireland. Well, I think the, the thing anyway. is you can complain about being in difficult circumstances and want the government to do more without saying mm. that people like carers shouldn't get extra <laughs> money. Like, you yeah. know, it's possible to make Selfish that point cares. without, yeah. you know what I mean? So, yeah. Anyway. It's, it's a tired it's a tired argument and one that exactly. people should stop making, yeah. I agree. Um, okay, big news in the Social Democrats this week. Uh, they flagged mm-hmm. that they were going to be making a, what was it, significant announcement. I enjoyed the terminology. <laughs> Yeah, so we got a press release at like 11 in the morning saying that there would be a significant announcement by the two co-leaders and by like half 11 it was like, okay, so <laughs> Catherine and Catherine Murphy and Roisin Shorthall, who have founders and co-leaders of the Social Democrats have said that they will step down as co-leaders of the party, but they will run again in the next election. Mm. Um, So I think it's um increasingly obvious to people that the main contender for the leadership is Cork Southwest TD Holly Cairns. Mm. So the speaking to people within the Social Democrats, um, it was decided by Catherine and Roisin themselves that they would go. Um, they felt that you know ahead of the next election there needed to be kind of 
a step, you know, for the new generation to come forward. And even though Catherine and Roisin would still remain TDs, um, they wanted to give someone else a chance to lead. Mm. Um, they are not leaving politics and they're, you know, have just, and they thanked, you know, their party and everyone else. Um, but it does very much appear that Holly Cairns um, is next. Mm. Um, she hasn't said anything herself. Um, but um, the two leaders said, you know, 15 months away from the local elections, this is the optimum time mm. for them to go ahead of the polls. She said, uh, Roisin said, we believe it's a good time. We've talked about this for quite some time, for many months. And I suppose it's just in recent weeks that we decided on an actual date. And it's just dawned on me that we've talked about Nicola Sturgeon last week, Jacinda Adern the mm-hmm. week before, and now Catherine Murphy and uh, Roisin Shortle. Mm. Um and but, the thing is, so I, I think it's worth saying as well that Roisin Shortall is the longest serving female D- TD in the doll. Is she? Um, yes. She's the, it's what's it called? The mother of the house? Yeah, mother mm-hmm. of the house. And the father of the house is Richard Britton from Fine Gael. But um, yeah, basically they both come from different party backgrounds. So people with longer memories. Uh, Roisin Shortall was in the Labour Party. Um, Catherine Murphy was in the Workers' Party mm. and they founded um, the Social Democrats with um, one Stephen Donnelly. Yeah. He is now Minister for Health and uh, in, uh, he defected to Fianna Fáil, who he had spent many a month slagging off. Yep. Never forget Vincent Brown. The Vincent Brown, the Vincent Brown interview. Feeling, feeling... Oh, I'll clip it. I'll clip it. Yeah, here. yeah. Let's I'll clip let's it. Cut, but let's put it in Vincent Brown. I'll clip it. Talking I'm writing Stephen it down Donnelly right now so I don't forget. Fall. It's stunning. This is the first time Stephen Donnelly has uh, been on the program with me as presenter uh, since he made the statesmanlike careers move from uh, the Social Democrats to Fianna Fáil. Um, do you feel embarrassed by what you've done? No. Why? <clears throat> Obviously not. Well, why? why? Why would I feel embarrassed? Because it's so career, so opportunist. You, you, you excoriated Fianna Fáil in your columns in the Sunday Independent on several occasions in the last several years. You, you, you more, more or less accused them of being the origin and font of all corruption. Um, you joined this, the Social Democrats because they were the people that you thought were most congruent with what you believed. You left them because of some uh, petty row. And now you join Fianna Fáil, obviously because you think your chances of getting a ministerial job is enhanced by joining Fianna Fáil. Well, and it looks <clears throat> utterly careerist and utterly shameless. Um, I'm so cool that I've put that on at party parties. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is maybe the most even more thing you've ever said. Okay, like, I'm not saying everyone, a lot. Everyone, everyone, shush. It's time for Vincent Brown and Donnelly. <laughs> Okay, let's move on. This week, today, to, to, as the as the podcast episode goes out on Friday, it will be the anniversary of the invasion of Ukraine. Um, one yes. year of the Russians cramming themselves into a country that doesn't belong to them. Yeah, so um, I think the biggest thing that we actually saw this week was Joe Biden, the US president, went to Poland. Um, he went. He made a secret 23-hour trip uh, to Kiev in Ukraine, where he met Vladimir Zelensky, and he announced a new weapons package for Ukraine worth around half a billion. Mm. Um, it was around the same time that Putin himself made a really odd and choreographed speech in Moscow, where he hailed uh, the year 
um, of the Russian invasion, he went on a very odd tangent about same-sex marriage in the UK and then kind of went back to bombing Ukraine. It was incredibly odd. Um, but as um, by as Putin sorry, was speaking, um, the Russians began shelling um, Kherson as he, as he spoke. Um, Ukraine... You know, we're hearing or I've seen on news, um, children are being urged not to go to school. People are urged not to go to work. People are not urged not to go to like shops because of the year anniversary. They actually have no idea what Putin is planning. Mm. Um, it's so hard, you know. Um, so yeah, it was obvious. Um, the Americans wanted to make a big show of the year, mm. um, the year anniversary. So Biden went and said, um. This is the largest land war in Europe in three quarters of a century, and you're succeeding against all and every expectation except your own. We have every confidence that you're going to continue to prevail. The Americans mm. stand with you and the world stands with you. Um, it's incredibly um, depressing that it's went on for a year when you think of the hundreds of thousands of people who have died, um, mm. the millions of people who are displaced, um, and it does not appear to be ending anytime soon. Um, you know, we it's talked just... about this before. Sorry, go on. No, we talked about this before, like Putin is um, quite unhinged by yeah. all kinds at this stage. Um, you have to wonder, like, what do the Russian people think at this point? Because I read an article um, this week that basically said that in its daily intelligence briefing last Friday, the UK's defense ministry... So the UK's defense ministry are like neutral in terms mm. of this conflict. It's not the Russians. It's not the Ukrainians. They said mm. that um, the Russian armed forces and private military contractors fighting alongside them as paramilitary forces had lost 40 to 60,000 troops and suffered up to 200,000 casualties. So that's up to 60,000 families, Russian families who have mm-hmm. lost someone, you know, generally a young man. And, you know, 200,000 lives that have been, you know, severely impacted, physically impacted. I mean, obviously it goes way beyond that. But mm-hmm. so what the Russians have got to See, be sick of this. you need to understand as well that their lives have been made, consider- Russian people's lives have been made considerably worse because of all the sanctions. Yeah. So, you know, people have lost their jobs, people can't get groceries, all this sort of stuff. But that really has endeared them not all of them, but a lot of them to the war. Mm. You know, this notion that, like, it's kind of pissed them off with the West. Mm. Um, and then you need to remember that they don't get the news. Like, like we get the news, yeah. you know, it's Russian state propaganda. So they're being told that, you know, the Ukraine, their big line is that um, they're fighting Nazis in Ukraine. Right. So Russian people are generally told that there's, like, a lot of neo-Nazis in Ukraine and that's who Russia is fighting. Yeah. And a lot of, you know, Russian nationalism, they don't believe... Um, that the Donbass and Crimea ever belonged to Ukraine anyway. Yeah. So they see it as taking back their own yeah. um, land. I mean, it's not like Putin got up this day last year and decided he was taking it back. This has been rumbling for a yeah, while because yeah. there has always generally been a feeling that, that, that those parts of Ukraine didn't belong to yeah. them. Yeah, no, I get that. Yeah. It just still seems like so many lives lost. Like, it's, oh, I don't know. And, but we saw, like, remember, I think it was, like, uh, April last year, we saw, you know, huge protests in St. Petersburg mm. against Putin mm-hmm. and against the war. So mm-hmm. it's just hard to get news out there as well. Yeah. I mean, it's hard for journalists on there to get news out of there to show yeah. people what's actually going on in Russia as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, God, I mean, I I desperately hope it ends, um, as I know we all do. Um, okay, before I let you go, I want to just touch on Nicola Bully, um, because 
I think everybody Jesus knows Christ. the name Nicola Bully at this stage, which in itself is sad. Um, but the the way that this case has been handled and the coverage of this case, I think, is is almost bigger at this point than sadly well, this what happened woman to has been com- This woman has been completely lost in her own story. Um, yeah. Nicola Bully um, was a mom of two uh, who lived in this kind of sleepy wee village in Lancashire um, she went to walk her dog uh, in the morning she sat down on a bench she was on a Microsoft Teams meeting with work and then the Teams meeting ended someone found her dog and found her phone on the bench where it was left and she was nowhere to be found she went she was missing uh, for a number of weeks and it really took hold you know I listened to if anyone um there's a podcast, Stories of Our Times in the Sunday Times, and they do an episode about um, Nicola Bully's disappearance, but not so much even about her, but about the kind of swirling story around it. So mm. um, they were saying, you know, like over 300 people go missing or something every day in the UK. But for some reason, this woman's disappearance really like captured people. And it's because she's white, she's middle class, she mm. was a mum. All this kind of is a kind of sleepy wee town where nothing ever happens. The mm. police, from the outset, very much felt that she had fallen under the river. Mm. Um, they said that they didn't um, actually think it was a crime scene. Therefore, the, the bench or the place wasn't actually sealed off. They had divers in the in the river straight away. But it attracted... I, I'm, I'm not on TikTok, right? So someone else is going to have to explain this to me. But people are now obsessed with being like armchair detectives on TikTok and these people descended on this village and were like someone broke into someone's garden shed looking for Nicola Bully's body there was these insane conspiracy theories floating around Mm. and then because of that the police then felt the police were very inept I think that's clear but the police then felt that they had to give more and more information and be more and more transparent in order to like quash these ridiculous rumours about Nicola Bully mm. but in doing so you know they said that Nicola was going through the menopause that she was having issues with HRT that she had issues with alcohol and that she was vulnerable but they didn't give any description about what vulnerable meant, mm. which then obviously sent these social media, Reddit threads, TikTokers into overdrive. Mm. It was incredibly sexist. Mm. Um, it came across that, you know, she was this kind of hysterical woman, you know, going through the menopause and that she was on the drink and that's what happened there. And it just, I find the entire thing really disappointing, but it's, yeah. it's come out this week that a full independent review has been commissioned into her disappearance mm. and the police's handling of it. Mm. Um, so, there was going to be an internal investigation, but then they decided the higher ups decided no. This we actually have to have a full inquiry now into what happened. It turned out that there was a welfare check done on Nicola Bully uh, at her home a couple of days before she went missing, hmm. um, and that was never um, wasn't properly sorry um, disclosed to the officers and the actual diver search team. Mm. Um and that's mentioned on that podcast as well because I was this morning. But her body was pulled from the river um on Sunday and she had been missing for three weeks. Um they identified her from her uh dental records and that yeah, she's been positively um identified. There is no reason to believe that anything suspicious happened other than she went under the river and never came out again. Mm. Um it's incredibly tragic. Um I think 
even when you listen, sorry to talk about another podcast on your podcast, but even when you um listen to that podcast and she he asked the journalist asked the TikToker um why are you doing this? The TikToker fella can't even remember her name. Mm. he keeps calling her the woman the lady that woman the lady and he said why are you doing this he's like well i would like to be a hero i would like to be the person that found yeah. her i actually think we're becoming desensitized oh 100 to like human life yeah i think i think that true crime as a genre um and the rate at which true crime documentaries and series and podcasts and all the rest are coming out now ha- has led to a desensitization. Like I think that's undeniable, and I and think like, that I'm not like like bitching about. I love a murder documentary. Like yeah. I I like you see let's into a lot of true crime and stuff. Yeah. Um. But I just think the sh- like we're not you not even thinking about things as a murder of a person. We're thinking yeah. like this is going to be a documentary. This yeah. is going to be a yeah. podcast. This, and that's what I know, mean. Yeah. Like I mean I don't have a. I mean, I don't have, it's not for me, but I don't have an Mm. issue per se with there being, you know, documentaries or podcasts or whatever. I listen to serial like everybody else. But like, Mm. I think that because they're, they're being turned over so quickly now, you know, there's, there's less and less time between the actual crimes and and them becoming entertainment, let's be honest, Mm. that it is easier to kind of just view things as they happen as fodder for entertainment and and that leads mm-hmm. to a disconnection yeah from the fact that there is a real person at the heart of it i think it's something that we're you know it's going to have to be really carefully considered and the role of social media and this kind of you know armchair detective work is certainly going to have to be taken in hand because you know what ha- this is completely unfair like this woman shouldn't be a name that we know you know what I mean? We no, shouldn't this be. Is a, this very much seems like it was a personal tragedy. Like I know way more um, about Nicola Bully than I should. I shouldn't even know her name, and I definitely shouldn't know the other stuff that I now know about her. Exactly, and I think there needs to be the police forces now need to be trained in this. Yeah. What happens when your case becomes TikTok mm. fodder, mm-hmm. and how you deal with that? You know, we've seen it in cases even here um, in the north. You know, the disappearance of Noah Donahue. Mm. You know, the police even said then, like, the, the sheer amount of conjecture and rumour on social media made their investigation very difficult. Mm. They find that wee boy, you know. Mm. Um, and I think people would do well to remember um, that there is families yeah. at, at the end of this. Um, I used to be a court reporter and I had to stop listening. I stopped listening to true crime for a long time because I, and a lot of people will, it's the main criticism of true crime is that it's not really about the victim. Mm. It 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 it's about the person who did it. Yeah. Um. And I think you know that's all obviously all the entertainment part of it as well. But yeah, I think it it's definitely I think it should be and will be a turning point for police services. Yeah. That you can't allow this to happen again. Yeah. You can't then be forced. That it it seems like the police's hand was forced into giving more information than they should have. Than they should have. Yeah. Because they thought they were doing the right thing. Absolutely. Okay. Well, Eva. Thank you so much. That's even more political correspondent at the Sunday Times Ireland. Willie White is a stand-up comedian turned actor, uh, although I don't know that he would even describe himself that way. Having said that, though, he in 2019, he won Best Performer in the Dublin Fringe for his role in The Examination, a play partially based on his experience of addiction and prison. The Examination is back and set to turn 
the examination is back and set to tour around Ireland in April and May. And I was delighted to have a chance to chat to Willie about it this week. So Willie, I suppose I I got an email um, from someone who's helping you with publicity for the play that you're in a good few months ago. And I immediately said that I would love to talk to you. Um, And then in the meantime... My husband said to me, there was this man on Tommy Tiernan last night and he's right up your alley and you have to watch it. And I was like, oh yeah. And then I opened it up. I was like, sure, he's coming on the podcast. And he said, I'm not surprised. And I suppose I wanted to start to try and explain where I'm coming from in this conversation. So you know kind of who I am a bit. Okay. Um, the reason I think that my husband said you need to watch this guy is that I have a real interest in addiction, in homelessness, um, in mental health because my mom was an alcoholic who ended up right. living on the streets um, and who also had several different uh, diagnoses within the kind of mental illness area. Um, okay. And so, you know, it's something that I spend a lot of time thinking about. I think a lot about the way that people are treated and um, the way that sometimes people are given up on and the way that kind of we as a society treat people who live with addiction um, and I know that those are all factors in your story. So I suppose to just from the get-go to say I'm coming from a place of great genuine interest and care because I think it's, you know, what you are doing is really brave. And I don't like it when people tell me I'm brave, but like maybe, maybe you do, I don't know. But I think, um, you know, the openness with which you're talking about, you know, your own experiences and the experiences of lots of people in this country um, is really impressive and it's really important that we talk about it. So there, that's my that's my bit done from the get go. Yeah, yeah. And um, in, in very much a way, uh, I too was like yourself growing up. Mm. Um, I had a mother and a father that, that, that were drinkers. Mm. Um, father was definitely alcoholic. Um, I'd more so going to say that my mother liked to drink. Mm. Um, there was no real mental health issues in in the family, but there was certainly uh, times of you know there was overdoses and there was a lot of violence and a lot of uh, my childhood would have been very very fear based, mm. you know. So I I can identify what you're talking about with the you know with the the alcoholic mother and mm. and I suppose just the powerlessness as a as a child, um, no matter what age you are, like you know, or a, as a as a daughter or as a son, that I suppose the best way for me to describe it was like that. I had two fires in my life that I was trying to put out with petrol, mm-hmm. and I just couldn't put the fire out, and I couldn't stop what was going on, and I was helpless, and I was powerless, and I felt so worthless, and I felt so shameful, mm-hmm. and I then carried all that stuff with me through my childhood and through my, my teens. Yeah. And when I found when I found drugs at a very young age, oh Jesus, it was such an escape for me. I suppose it was like it was like one of them old pressure cookers from the eighties that when the lid just come off the top of it, there was just that much relief. And even though it was only a short term kind of thing, um it was a great escape for me, you know? Yeah. I've often thought I'm I feel very lucky that for whatever reason drink and drugs didn't do that for me you know I was afraid that if when I started drinking that it would be a problem because I had seen it be a problem in my own house 
I, I had, my mom was an alcoholic, my biological mom, my dad died when I was three and then I was adopted by my aunt and uncle. My uncle was also an alcoholic. I then had a relationship with an alcoholic. So like I had, I had alcoholism around me always. So I was afraid when I took a drink that that was going to happen. And for whatever reason, that's not the way that I'm built. And I think, you know, that's something that people don't acknowledge is that, you know, it, it, you're lucky if if you don't have that in you, do you know what I mean? You're it's 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 yeah. literally a matter of luck, because for whatever reason, you know, we we had similar backgrounds in terms of what was going on in our houses, but like for whatever reason, when you found drugs, it was like as you say that massive relief for you, and and that didn't happen for me, and I think that's just luck. What do you think? I don't know. I, I kind of played around with the idea as well for a while that it was a generational thing. Mm. I don't know about you, Louise, because mm. I don't. I kind of delved into my, because I never knew my, any of my grandfathers. Mm. I never knew my father's father, and I never knew my mother's father. Uh, I was fortunate enough to meet my two grannies. But I know certainly from where my father came from in his childhood, that his father was a rampant alcoholic. Yeah, it was the same in my um, family. Yeah, and was also... Um, I, I don't really want to delve into what he was, but he done a lot, a lot of horrific stuff. Right. And um, in the home and in in and around the home, me me mom's dad, as far as I know, was a gentleman, was a really really nice man. Well, he was an alcoholic as well. Mm. You know, and funnily enough, my two grannies I never seen take a drink. Mm. My, my father's mother was pregnant for sixteen years in a row. She had sixteen kids Jesus. one year after another. Yeah, I know. It's uh, it's 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 mental. It is mental. So there was sixteen. So there was sixteen siblings in my dad's family, and ten of them went to England, and they were a very heavy drinking orientated family. Mm. Uh, and that's so kind of was was my my mother's, you know. Mm. So I don't know. I don't know. Is it a generational thing? Is it is it a family? I don't know. Illness or or disease or whatever you might say. Mm. Um, but I just know. That from my father's generation and his generation before him, that are kind of seemed to come down through it. Yeah. Um. And and even though my father done a really good job with us with the tools that he'd been given, you know, and I say very loosely by his father, and the trauma he'd come through as a child, he 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 done an okay job. But I I just kind of felt, and I don't know about yourself, I felt. I felt that I was robbed of love and affection as a kid. I, yeah. I was starved of it. And, the, and, the, and it's like it's like I was held underneath the water and, 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 and suffocated from getting what any child deserves, like your own kids, like my kids. And mm. I made sure that when my kids came along, you know, luckily enough and very fortunate enough for me, my children were born in recovery. I never had, you know, the... The burden, I suppose, would be the best word to use to drag my kids through my addiction with me. Mm. So in some kind of way, thank God I never had kids because I, I couldn't look after myself in any way, you know. So it was yeah. kind of great that my kids were born in uh, in in recovery, you know. So jeez, mm. I'm, I'm delighted with that. Yeah, that's great. And, and I think, you know, what you were saying there, my kids 
like slag me off because I tell them I love them so much. You know what I mean? Like I look at yeah. I look at my my six year old and I'll go, "What do you think I'm gonna say?" And he goes, "You love me." <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah." I can't tell them enough because I I also had that feeling of like just not not feeling it, not hearing it, and and mainly not feeling it. But like you, as you say, you're in recovery from addiction now, which is amazing. How long have you been in recovery? Um. I'm, please God, I've been 20, 21 years and 10 months. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, so please, please God, on the 4th of April, a uh, day at a time, I'll, I'll celebrate 22 years in recovery, yeah? Yeah. Uh, which, is, which is amazing, like, you know? It is amazing. It's, and it, I think it's so good for people to hear that. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean like, like this... A girl only got buried yesterday morning. Um, she was pregnant, and she two young kids, and she all did. Mm. She was thirty four years of age. A beautiful looking girl, and and the reason I'm saying this is that addiction is still very much alive in this country and worldwide. Mm. Um, some people have got issues that they just can't deal with. And mm. um, even if they go to counselors or go to wherever they go, some people are afraid to open up and let other people into what happened, you know, in their lives or whatever. And unfortunately, some people just don't get this. Some people get bouts of it mm. of recovery, and some people, you know, come in and, and 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 they go back out and they relapse and they use for whatever reasons. And I just knew for me that when I Eventually got clean in Mount Joy Prison. I got clean in, mm-hmm. and when I got when I got my life together, that I just had one go at this. And I'm really even now. I'm so fearful of picking up a drink or picking up a drug because I know I'm realistically uh, pulling the linchpin off a hand grenade. Yeah. Because it's it, it's it'll go off. It, yeah. It'll definitely go off. And a lot of people say to me, "Why don't you drink, like you know?" And I, and I say. Well, because when I drink, I, I, I turn into a completely different person and it just opens the door and a gateway of a field for me to walk into and pick up other substances in mm. that field. Mm. So therefore, it's a lot it's a lot safer for me, first mm. and foremost. It's a lot more beneficial for me and for everybody around me that I don't drink. And I'm not a bore or I'm not a... You know, I'm really good fun to be around sober. I will mm. go into a pub. If there's karaoke on, I'll go up, I'll sing a song, I'll have a bit of laugh. And it is what it is. And, and you know what? Genuinely, Louise, I, I don't miss it. I really, really don't. I see the devastation of drink and what it does. Yeah. Um, and most of the trouble in town on the weekends and most of the people that are murdered in this country is down to alcohol-based uh, violence and alcohol-based murder. Mm. And I suppose we have a very kind of problematic relationship with it because it's so socially acceptable and it's such a part of so many of our, and look, I drink uh, so many of our lives to, you know, go out and get smashed at the weekend. And, you know, a lot of people don't kind of think anything of it. That does seem to be changing a little bit though. Like the research seems to indicate that like the younger generation are turning slightly away from alcohol. Now I think they might be turning away from alcohol and a little bit more toward drugs based on what I've heard and read. But like, I wonder, can we change as a culture when it comes to our relationship with drink i don't know i i, I just think and my personal opinion is 
The only difference between drink and drugs is that one is wet and one is dry. Right. And they're both going to get you to the same destination. Mm. So the drink would be like the milk flow, our father Ted, right. gone up the roads. And the drugs are like the Ferrari mm. to get you up that road. Mm. You know, so they're both going to bring you to the same destination. They're both inevitably going to cause you, if you continue to do that on a long-term basis, uh, they're going to cause you trouble mm. uh, physically, mentally, um, you know, with liver damage or whatever. And not only that, it will cause a ripple effect on the people around you that love you because you start lying, you start being deceitful, and you start hurting people mm. uh, unintentionally because of this substance that you've now become dependent on, you know? Mm. So I don't, I, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> as I said to you, look, the only way for me is total absence. Yeah. I've nothing but admiration for a guy that can go out on a Saturday night have a few bottles of beer and come home and do a Sunday dinner and go to work on Monday. Mm. I cannot do that. I'm mm. very aware of that. Mm-hmm. That is not for me. You know, mm. that that just does not happen and it's not going to happen, mm. you know. So um, I, I just continue to do what I'm doing. And I don't knock people that take drugs either or people that drink. If you want to take drugs and you want to drink, knock yourself out. Mm. You know, but I just don't really want any involvement in it. I have seen so many lives been destroyed. I've seen so many friends of mine um, dying and I've seen, you know, I've seen their parents dying and I've seen a lot of really nasty stuff. So I just try, even though when I do stand-up comedy or I go to theatre or uh, doing plays or whatever like that, there's very much alcohol involved in that. And a lot of the comedy clubs I play in, it's free, the drink is free, like, you know. Um, so it just doesn't amuse me. I, I, I'd rather have a bottle of water or, you know, or a Coke Zero or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Tastes, tastes a lot nicer. Mm-hmm. You wake up the next morning, you know what you've done. Mm. There's nobody looking at you with their, with their eyes raised going, oh, Jesus Christ, you want to see what you were like last night. Mm. So I don't have that anymore. I don't mm. wake up in the morning with that fear of the unknown of someone saying to me, Jesus, you need to go down and apologise to this person or you mm. need to, to do that or whatever. Mm. Come here, I've done it. I, 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 I've done it all before, Louise. Certainly don't want to do it again. Yeah, well, I mean, um, and, and good for you. Long may that last. Um, yeah, you, yeah. You, you mentioned that when you got clean, you were in Mount Joy. And Mount Joy is, I suppose, where the your involvement in Broken Talkers began. Um, because you were recommended to do the play by someone in Mount Joy, right? Yeah, and I only met him last week. Would you believe that? Did I you? Was out in, yeah, I was out in Ballymount last week looking for an address with walk. I was driving a... I was driving a van and a guy pulled up beside me and it was him. Oh, no it way. Was the music, he was a music teacher called, uh, believe it or not, Jerry Hendricks, his name is. Mm-hmm. And no relation to Jimmy. Um, and he was the guy that Phelan, um, Cannon and Gary Keegan, when they were doing the research with Broken Talkers in Mountjoy Prison, talking to life prisoners that were doing life sentences, mm-hmm. When when they eventually kind of reached the end of the road, they needed someone because it was originally going to be a one-man play. Right. Um, Gary, and I'll explain to you in a minute, come in kind of, uh, um, I won't say as a fluke or anything like that, I believe everything kind of happens for a reason. But um, they went and seen the, 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 the music teacher in Mount Joy and they said to him, we're doing this piece and we're looking for someone that's from here to play this part is there anybody that you could recommend mm. to play the part and he said there is 
says, there's one guy I can recommend to play the part. He says, he's a guy called Willie White. He says, he was in here a few years ago. He says, he's an amazing fella. He's got an amazing story. And in my opinion, he'd be the fella to, to, to play the part. So then Phelan sent me a message via Twitter. Um, and I got the message and it was basically, we're doing a play. Um, we, you know, explained to me what it was about. We'd love if, if you'd come in and have a chat with us and, and initially I wasn't going to go in. It was my partner. I said, just go in and see what happened. So I went in and I met Phelan and I met Gary uh, from Broken Talkers. And I didn't know anything about them. I thought there was going to be a script written. Mm. And there wasn't. And they told me what they were doing. And I got involved in this project um, called The Examination. Mm. So initially I was meant to be speaking um, to a distorted voice. My voice distorted in it. But for whatever reason, Gary stepped in one night to read. And it aspired then that Gary had been a victim of crime in London when he was in college Mm. in South London. And he was mugged by two guys. So then it kind of took a twist that it was now Gary was this guy who was an ex-victim of crime. I was an ex-criminal. He was going to tell his story. I was going to tell my story Mm. um, in some of it. There's, there's light-hearted black comedy, so it's not all doom and gloom. Mm. Then there's extracts taken from prisoners in Mount Joy who are doing life sentences. It focuses on the, the welfare and the mental health of prisoners in the prison system, mm. the conditions that they were living in. And, yeah, just just an amazing piece of theatre. And we amalgamated it with my story and Gary's story. And I told of stuff that happened to me when I ended up in prison and I ended up in psychiatric hospitals on a few occasions mm. from, from taking drugs and we come up with this amazing piece of theatre and um, yeah we, we you know we, we won a few awards we won the Irish Times Best Production Award we won the Irish Times Best Soundscape Award I won um, Best Performer at the Dublin Fringe Festival in 2019 I was 700 people that's amazing which was kind of yeah, come here. I've never won anything in my life, Louise. Yeah. You know, I've never even won an argument like so. <laughs> but that for me was, and I, I genuinely and sincerely was not expecting to win this award. And had you ever um, acted before? I, do you know what? I've probably done some of my best acting in the district court or the circuit court. <laughs> okay, right. Got um, it. No, I, come here, listen. In, in school, when I was in secondary school, I was in a couple of musicals. But apart from that, no, I'd done nothing. I was in the Emperor's New Clothes. I was Cipollino, the jester. I was in, uh, I was in actually uh, Oliver. I played the Artful Dodger. Oh, very good. And I ended up on Anything Goes with Angus McAnally. Oh, no way. Uh, I have the video there somewhere. And I also done Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dream Crow. And I was the bad brother, Dan, in that. Very good. So that's really my, that's, really my acting kind of credits. And I done a couple of plays in Mount Joy. I done um I done the Plow on the Stars, Sean O'Casey. Mm. And I played Flute of Good in that. And then I done the Borstal Boy, another Sean O'Casey play. And mm. I played Scalaro and that. So look at come here, I I I done bits and pieces, but I would never have, you know, regarded myself as an actor or, mm. or you know, in, in, in so many words, like, you know. Mm. Um 
so I think, you know, I haven't seen the play yet, but I'm looking forward to seeing it. Um, and I think the idea of hearing from kind of both sides of a crime is really interesting for people because I think that sometimes people can see these things as very black and white and sometimes they are, but often it's more complex when you factor in background and history and things like addiction. And I know so much crime that goes on in this country is related to addiction. Um, like, what is it that led you to be in Mountjoy? Were they crimes related to your addiction? Yes, everything. Mm. Uh, every time I ended up in Mountjoy prison, it was always drug-related. Mm. Uh, every single time. It was to form the habit. Mm. Um, I wasn't... Um, I was no, you know, drug cartel or Pablo Escobar. There was none of that. Mm. I was just a standard street addict that got caught up in you know, using drugs and then when things got really, really bad, you know, I'd sell a bit for people or I'd go shoplifting or it'd be really kind of petty, silly things, you know, but mm. always shoplifting or trespassing and breaking an entrance. Mm. And but there was nothing and I'm not saying that this makes me a better criminal or a better mm. person, I should say, pardon me. Mm. But there was nothing with violence in it. There was mm. nothing that, you know, I hurt anybody or or, or anything like that. It was always kind of... Because growing up, I wasn't this big kind of tough guy. I was a really, really soft fella. Like. Mm. Uh, always had compassion for someone that was getting bullied or someone that was less than. Yeah. Uh, or someone that was in, you know, in need of a bit of help. And I think I carried that through my childhood because I was, you know, in need of help when I was a kid. So I just was very kind of compassionate around, around things like that. So yes, any time I ended up in prison... That's what it was for. Yeah. And I mean, the last time I ended up in prison, it was a it was a possession with intent to supply charge. And my mother at the time was living in London. So I left Dublin and I went to live in London um, on the run. And my ex-partner, she she came as well. And um, it just turned into a nightmare. London, I was in London and uh, I, I ended up with a bad crack cocaine habit and a bad heroin habit. You know, I ended up homeless on the streets. I ended up living in a car. And then inevitably, I got arrested one day and I got extradited back to Dublin and went to prison and used again. I was clean when I got home. I was in Brixton prison for six weeks and then I went home. And then eventually, I, I started back using again in prison. Mm. So I got a sentence of five and a half years with a review after three and a half years with the terms and conditions that I addressed my addiction and tried to do something about my drug habit, mm. which I've done in the last year. I found a 12-step program and um, I started going to these meetings and, and something changed and something shifted. And then eventually when I got out then in 2001, on the third of uh, April, I, I made a big decision and I, I got help from a prison officer in, in, in Mount Joy. Um, Mark Farrell his name was I'll never forget him and he got me the help and I went and, and do you know what I just had enough I'd been on the merry-go-round for so long it wasn't getting any easier and I knew that my addiction always left me it was going to leave me in three different places it was either going to be jails it was going to be an institution or it was going to be a hole mm. and they were the three choices that I had or I was just going to be going around mentally unstable Um. So I gave, I gave um, the the twelve the step program a go, and and luckily enough for me, it's it's paid off. You know, I've 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 been very fortunate. I've been very lucky. I've come here. I've had a lot of 
really good times in in recovery, and I've had a lot a, a lot of bad times as well. I had, you know, a sister who was um who was kind of the rock behind my recovery, but only one sibling. That was my sister Susan, mm. and she passed away at uh, forty four years of age of cervical cancer, and mm. that kind of really knocked the stuffing out of me. And yeah. then I had a breakup in a long term relationship, and then my father passed away in two thousand and sixteen. I mean, there was loads of good stuff that happened. I was on the Des Bishop program. And look, more good than bad has happened to me. But what I'm saying to you is that just because bad things happen in my life now, I don't need to go to the bottom of a glass or I don't need to go to a bag of powder or I don't need to go to a bottle of pills. Mm. I don't need to do anything. I live my life on life's terms. And whatever feelings come up or whatever I endure or whatever I feel, through the process of anything bad happening or anything good happening because mm. there's good feelings as well. I just kind of sit back and I enjoy the ride, like, you know, and, yeah. and, and that's just life on life's terms, Louise. Yeah. And so how does it feel to be back doing the examination again? It feels amazing. We, we're literally just back from Belgium. So we got back from Belgium on Saturday night to two sold out um, shows. We got an on they the on they gave us five encores on the Friday night. Wow. They clapped for over two and a half minutes. And you've got to remember, Louise, that this play is in subtitles. Yeah. In French subtitles. And these people were just blown away. Like this piece of theater is just so universal. Yeah. That it could literally go anywhere. We've got interest at the moment uh, from Taiwan. Uh, Taiwan Taiwan I know yeah and we done so we've done Edinburgh we've done a few weeks in Edinburgh we've done um, Paris in a festival called uh, Theatre de, uh, de la Ville mm-hmm. which was brilliant as well in an amazing theatre mm-hmm. and then we've done a Norwegian theatre festival last June as well it's amazing uh, which was a bit which was a bit weird because the place that we were was a uh, 24 hours brightness right so like a at four o'clock in the morning, it was bright like. I don't think I would do well with crazy. that, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's for well, me, that 24-hour brightness. No, you know what? It was a, it was a bit weird, but um, no, the play the play has travelled and, and we embark now at the end of March on a nationwide tour. Yeah. So we start, we start in... So the nearest place for anybody to see it, the likes of yourself, I would suggest, would be... Um, the Riverbank Theatre in Newbridge. Yeah. So we're, we're there on the 29th of March and then... You're all over the country. I have it in front of me. Yeah, so then it's yeah, Galore and Ennis yeah, in Ennis, April. Yeah. Then there's the Lime Tree Theatre in Limerick, the Everyman in Cork, the Source Arts Centre in yes. Thurles, Blackwater Fit-Up Centre in uh, Bally de Hob, or in... Sorry... I don't know where Ballyno is. <laughs> You're all over the place. Fermoy, Bally yeah. Dahab, and then on Green On in Letterkenny and the Town Hall Theatre in Galway. And those are great theatres. So you're right around the country. So everybody has a chance to see this. Um, and I, yeah. I'm i definitely going to be there. I like, I, I can't wait. I, It sounds so powerful. And I just love to hear about this kind of theatre being made, which is confronting and makes people really examine how they feel about important things and how they feel about the way that people are treated in this country, the way that just system works the way prison works the way rehabilitation works all of that kind of stuff um and i'm delighted that people are going to have a chance to see it again yeah it's i you know and i I always say this i'm not just saying this because i am in the play 
I really think it's a piece of theatre that everybody needs to see. Mm. And I really think it's a piece of theatre that, you know, should be in schools and should let kids see exactly what goes on, mm. you know, if you make the wrong decisions. Because, look, we are all only one one act away from ending up inside the walls of Mount Joy Prison. Yeah. I mean, I've been inside in prison and seen some really affluent you know, middle-class, nice people yeah. that just made a mistake on a night out yeah. and ended up in this place, like, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's harrowing to think that that can happen. But, I mean, when you bring it back to what I talked about with the drink and the drugs, mm. if you're drinking and taking drugs and you're out of control in town, I mean, you can very simply wake up in Star Street Police Station with a white forensic suit on you and be told, listen, you get a guy a dig outside Africa, yeah. Barbara, he's dead. yeah. You know, and we we don't we don't think about that when we go out. Yeah. You know, on a night out drinking or look, we all know someone who goes out and drinks too much, drinks that little bit more than anyone else would probably become a little bit aggressive. And yeah. they they are the consequences sometimes that are available for people, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean we've I think we've all heard the stories over the years for sure. Well, look, I hope I hope you sell out every date. I actually have no doubt that you will, to be honest. Um I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me, Willie White. Not 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 a bother. Can I just say before I go that anyone who is looking for tickets, if they go on to broken talkers dot yeah. there's a link there for all the venues and for tickets as well and louise thank you so much for having me on. not at all really no i'm it. delighted i'm delighted thanks a million for the chat ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. The BAFTAs really delivered when it comes to stories this week. So myself and Esther had loads to talk about from Angela Bassett doing the thing to Paul Meskel's red carpet, Guelga. I hope you enjoy. Esther O'Mara Donahue, writer, creative, extraordinary I'm human. Try- yeah, I'm, in, I'm, I'm gesturing with my hand for Louise <laughs> to keep saying things. And she's like, oh, I'm really trying to pull out of nowhere. No, I, I had started to move wherever. into um, Oprah's <laughs> I Don't Know a Better 
person. <laughs> I don't know. Don't know a better person. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, sorry, you it, no, it's delightful to be back with you yes. once again in your office. Uh-huh. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, we are going to talk about the entertainment stories of the week. There really is one dominant uh, situation and that is the BAFTAs. And I don't know if there's been ever been as much buzz about the BAFTAs as there has been this year. But of course, an exciting year for the Irish. Yeah, we're mad about it because we're all over it. We've been nominated in so many different categories. And before we even get into the ceremony, everyone lost their mind over Paul Meskell speaking Irish. Yeah. And I don't know about you. See, it's funny. Like, I was like, oh, geez. you know, my, my, I was like, Aaron Naveen was playing in my heart. I was like, yes, go on, Paul. Confuse people. Confuse people. What is he saying? It's like adding a whole other layer and element to him. But it's like, when I see, you know, people like Paul Meskell or whatever speaking Irish, I was like, yeah, Googling, you know, you know, I don't know, Duolingo apps or whatever, but also yeah. Googling Irish, how to learn Irish courses because it's terrible that we don't know. But it's kind of funny. There is a kind of a sense of, sometimes when I hear, I've heard it historically, you're like, a bit of me cringes. And I know I shouldn't, I'm just, that's what yeah. I feel. I feel a bit like ashamed or like, why are you saying those? It's just, I don't know what it is. It's so earnest to be speaking Irish, but it's, we should know. And it, when you see yeah. Paul with his little mulledy friend or mulledy heads, hairstyle, you're speaking a bit of a few words and it's like oh yeah we should be proud of it and why do we kind of some of us have shame around it I think you do yeah I think it kind of I think it depends on lots of things it depends on like where you grew up it depends on how old you are kind of but there is an interesting culture and kind of conflict around how people feel about it and, and I think you know a lot of it is connected to the way that it's taught or the way that it was taught previously mm-hmm. I gather it's progressed quite significantly um, and kind of a lot of people having a difficult relationship with it in terms of academics like it being a you you know, a difficult subject at school and therefore kind of fostering, uh, you know, conflicting feelings about it. Um, I, I think um, I don't speak any Irish because I moved away when I was seven and then, you know, and at that stage it was just like Anne August Barry. Um, <laughs> and then when I came back, I was I was old. I was, you know, 16, so I was exempt. Um, and I feel sad that I don't speak it. Like, you know, Sam mm. is learning it now. Um, and he's in senior infants and he gets a real kick out of it and I'm like I really should like I had to get Gordon to kind of translate for me mm-hmm. what what he was saying and I was like that's kind of mortifying and I gather he wasn't speaking like the world's best Irish either yeah fake Aaron Madra that means look at the dog Louise oh, you were thanks. like your head scratching what is that genius child saying but every but, time I talk about this someone gets in touch with me and says oh but you know about this like there's so many different mm. initiatives and classes to help adults learn Irish mm-hmm. and particularly parents I think so that they can kind of you know work with their kids as they learn Irish but last last month even in the Irish Independent Eve Horan spoke to Colin Parade who's the director of Colin yeah. Kuhn, and he spoke about how when he was a child he felt embarrassed that his dad would speak Irish his dad had a love yeah. of it and was trying to foster it in the home but it was like you know especially you know if you're you know you go through your teens you feel maybe more self-conscious in that period of time and your dad speaking Irish to you outside mm. he said that it kind of made him feel embarrassed and he refused to you know talk back to him in Irish and stuff yeah. but of course now it's come full circle and he has yeah. you know embraced it and he's nominated for an Oscar so I what know. we're saying is if you should go and learn Improve your Irish. Yeah. Learn your Irish and you could be up for an award of some sort. I've Um, got a lot going on at the moment. um, (laughs) So I... Oh, you're not trying harder. Simply can't take on another thing. But I would like to. I really would. 2024. In the next... uh, Yeah, I don't think it's going to be this year, but I I really would like to. Because I think, like, I mean, as you say, you know, if any of us really get down to the brass tacks of it, the fact that we don't speak it maybe to the, the, Mm. uh, you know, level that we would like to is a real shame, mm. you know, when you think about the history of the language and all the rest. But anyway, Paul Mescal, and anyway, it's sexy words. now, exactly. It's sexy. <laughs> we'll be wearing O'Neill shorts and speaking Irish uh, by October and we're all going to be delighted with ourselves. But the BAFTAs were 
we were all fascinated by the BAFTAs this year because we were nominated in so many different categories and we yeah. won. Um, London Irish filmmaker Martin McDonough won Best Original Screenplay for a little film called Banshees of Inisherin. I don't know if you've heard of it, Eddie's. <laughs> Kerry Condon and Barry Keown won Best Supporting Actress and Actor um, in their categories. And Brendan Gleeson was also on the list for Best Supporting Actor, which is great. Um, and the Banshees of Inisherin is named Best British Film. Which I know people, and even Mark McDonough acknowledged this in his speech. He's like, well, it was made by, you know, Film 4 and there was British producers. Yeah. So, you know, so it could be. And, and he, Martin McDonough is English. And he's, yeah, he's a British, British person. So I, he said, I know every Irish person in the cast and crew are going best what, but like, it is what it is. And we understand. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so there were some great speeches. Barry Keown wore a stunning outfit. He said he dedicated the award to children from his area, which is in Dublin, which is Summerhill and his son, Brando. So delighted for him. This is for my son as well, Brando for my mother um, and also for the kids that are dreaming to, to be something from, from the area that I came from. This is for you. So. Okay. He oh, is amazing. amazing in that film. He deserved it, yeah. like, in my opinion. He absolutely yeah. did. And I it was loved... like an extra little secret treat. When their scenes came on, it was, yeah. just like, it was just so brilliant and understated. Yeah, I just thought his performance was outstanding. Mm. And I loved, Brendan Gleeson looked absolutely delighted. Like, mm. they were up against each other. And when mm. Barry Keown's name was called, like, Brendan Gleeson looked thrilled yeah and I very much enjoyed that and I'm just so happy for him and so happy you know Orti did a report during the week with um kids from the school that he went to and they were talking about how like you know exciting it is yeah. and stuff and he, I saw he quote tweeted it and was like oh as soon as I can I'll be back in to see his like and I'll go and see the primary school as well and like it does really mean something for anyone to see someone from where they're from, you know, succeed. Yeah. But particularly if you're from an area that people don't maybe give a lot of credit to. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is great to see. If you can see it, you can be it. So he's, it. Yeah, it's inspiring. Um, but then there are also uh, other um, Irish adjacent winners. The Irish Special, Effe- Irish Special Effects Oscar winner Richard Bannum and his colleagues won BAFTA for Special Visual Effects for Avatar, mm. The Way of Water. Fair play. Did you know, have you seen The Way of Water? I haven't and I won't. <laughs> I did. I sat through it three and a half did hours. Did you? Yes. Oh, I can't do two hours for a film that I want oh, to I see. Oh, I know, I know, I know, I <laughs> know. You watch, you think all films should be 90 minutes. Yes. Yes, yes. No, I, th- I accept that there are some films that should be two hours, but like, I struggle. I struggle with it. I fall asleep, Esther. I'm very tired. Yeah, well, I mean, when the forest folk avatars met the sea folk avatars, I was like, wow, I didn't know there were sea folk avatars. <laughs> but I also and I, just... And I had the 3D glasses on as well. I went, the, I'm like, I leant into the whole thing. See, I would have been asleep in five minutes. <laughs> I'm telling you. I thought it might have been as well, but I stayed awake anyway. So we were just winning and we were nominated all over the shop and, you know. And Kerry Condon, delighted for her because she has been, I like, you know, a lot of actors, Irish actors like that, actors in general, like Kerry Condon, who've done the kind of work that she do, I think assume that they'll never have a moment like that where they'll be on the big stage at the big awards show. And obviously she's nominated for an Oscar as well, so. Yeah, and she said, thank you to McDonough for all the parts you gave me to my career. You made me so proud to be an Irish woman. <laughs> she's kind of getting that in. And she also thanked her, the cast and her horses and dogs and stuff. But there was more. I didn't even realise Daryl McCormick was nominated as well. Um in uh, sorry where is it da- yeah he's nominated in the best actor category alongside Paul Maskell as well I didn't realise that oh I didn't Amazing. either yeah no could have got that wrong Nate the fact that you look in your face going maybe I got that wrong no no, no that's, that's correct no I believe um, you so a great day for the Irish and there's a short film isn't there as well like there's just there's loads of Irish the North Ar- people Northern working Irish in film well, so, yeah. doing so so well and it is wonderful to see yeah. um, but now I, I think we need to get to the main event mm-hmm. um, the, big, the big story of the BAFTAs Let's do it. Lock the doors. We're going to be in here for a while. <laughs> Let's talk about this. Ariana DeBose. 
yes. did a musical number. Now, first of all, who is Ariana DeBose? Let's talk about her. She won an Oscar last year. Uh, she won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress in her role of Anita in Steven Spielberg's 2021 adaption of West Side Story, Which making still her seen. the first Afro-Latina and first openly queer woman of colour to win an Academy Award for acting. Mm-hmm. And in that year, she also won the BAFTA, Critics' Choice, Golden Globe, SAG Awards, Best Supporting Actress for the role that year. So yeah. that's what... Big year last That's year. where she is. She's very talented and accomplished. Now, why people are talking about her this week is because she did a performance at the BAFTAs which included a rap that paid tribute to the women in the room and it also included a medley of medley of songs including Sisters Are Doing It For Themselves and We Are Family. Now, some of the lyrics from the original rap she created included Angela Bassett, You Did The Thing, Viola Davis, My Sorry, Woman King. Sorry, excuse me. You can't just say it like that, Esther. Oh, you want me? Yes. I ain't getting paid enough. I could perform. I could perform. Angela Bassett did the thing. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> excuse me. It's, it's so hard to explain. Like, if you haven't seen it, it's so hard to explain why it's such a big moment. Mm-hmm. It's the combination of the hair, the outfit, the dance moves, which is very, like, syncopated. Yeah. And the delivery that just created something truly special. She was... Awful ladies in the room, supporting and leading, all here I presume. Hong Chao, Dolly D, Carrie and Carrie with the C. Day Mama, I'm so fond, and a girl, you were great and blonde. Danielle D, you broke my heart. Michelle, I've loved you from the start. Angela Bassett did the thing. Viola Davis, my woman king. Blanche Kate, you're a genius. Jamie Lee, you are all of us just gently a little bit out of breath as well during the rap and also then the reaction of the people in the audience yeah which is all we all you know and of course she was out of breath she was doing a big musical number like I mean absolutely no problem you know we're not expecting Beyonce but like it just was so I think it was so unexpected and so in contrast to the kind of feeling of the BAFTAs. Well, I, yeah, I think the BAFTAs is it's British and it's very exactly. stiff upper lip and it's like it's worthy. It's more worthy. We have the Oscars that's fun and fizz and yeah. frill but the BAFTAs, you know, it's very serious. Um, so it was unexpected and I think, you know, when you're in the audience, I've never been in an award ceremony, why am I speaking on these people's behalf? But when you're there, you know people are going to look at you, you expect to be filmed and photographed and stuff and you have your game face on, you know, there's cameras yeah. flying in. But probably if I was at some award ceremony and I wasn't prepared for my name to be <laughs> just in a rap. in a rap. Yeah. So you can see people are like waking up and like, huh? Hmm? Oh, that's just, that's oh, I'm in, I'm in a song. What's happened? What's just been happening? <laughs> um, so it was a different energy and feel for the uh, Baptist. And, you know, of course, people are on Twitter. You're just like, that's part of it. And people were making their comments and passing um, commentary on Ariane and Bose's performance. But the BAFTA producer, Nick Bullen, has come out and said the trolling um, of Bose is incredibly unfair. They said they wanted the show to be, uh, to open the show with some energy and fun and also lay out straight away that this is hopefully going to feel like a different night. Um, and uh, Ariana, what Ariana did was exactly that. Yeah. Um, and she said there's a view that BAFTAs, he said there's a view that the BAFTAs have to be the slightly stiff traditional British middle English messaging, but yeah. American awards show have much more pizzazz. And so that's what they did. Yeah. But, um, w- w- okay, do a shot if I mention the Who Weekly podcast again. I know. I just did a shot. <laughs> But Lindsay from Who Weekly Podcast I described the performance as like um, watching open heart surgery 
painful to look at, but I support it. Yes. <laughs> and then also Evan, and I support, I think it's an incredible performance. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not slagging off to Bose at all. But Evan Rosscat said, the performance, or he's a writer, already etched in the annals of great award show moments was pure, unfiltered camp. And may I just say, while Megan wouldn't be the obvious Halloween costume for the gays, catch me dressed as Mr. Bose, belting out lyrics that, in, that neither Cole Porter nor Stephen Sondheim had the ability to think up. <laughs> so three cheers. Yeah, like, I mean, look, my thing is, it's not, you know, Ariana DeBose, I think, did a great job. It was just so unexpected. It, it was, was <laughs> and, and like, I don't think that people, I mean, I'm sure there are people being mean about it because there are people being mean about yeah. literally everything that mm. happens on the internet. But I think most people are just having a bit of crack. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Angela Bassett has changed her Twitter bio to did the thing. Allegedly, that may, that I mean, that I mean doctored. Oh no, please tell me it hasn't. You can go and check. We are live fact I'm checking, checking right, right now. On air. I would be so sad. If I was Angela Bassett, I would 100% <laughs> have to, oh. It's what? It's I'm sorry. Do you know what her bio actually is? Angela Bassett didn't do the thing? It's just the official Angela Bassett 911 gunpowder milkshake. I want you to change your bio to that. The Louise Max. What's the 911? I don't know. It's a show, I think. Okay. Yeah, well. Angela Bassett, come on. You've been given the perfect, the ultimate, an immaculate bio. Do the thing and change Do the, the bio. Do the thing, Angela Bassett. Change the bio, yeah. Anyway, yeah, I, am I for one, I'm so glad that it happened. I will say I have not been able to watch it from start to finish entirely because every time I try, I just get so embarrassed that I just can't. Break it down in chunks. I've watched, I've watched many snippets and I hope there's people going to Irish college this year that translate that <gasps> and do that rap and then we put it yeah, on the internet Kalasha Lurgan this is what we want from we you we want this Osquelga <laughs> please come on <laughs> and if we can get Paul Mescal in there and just, just like, everything happen everywhere all at once Angela and Bassett do the thing it's just been going around my head for like days now <laughs> Anywho, um, let's talk about Meghan Markle on South Park. This is wild. Yes. The, not the actual Meghan Markle on, on South Park, in my opinion, but the, the furore around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I watched the little clip this morning. Have you seen the clip? I, the, there's only one clip available that I, I, I saw, but it yeah. was them sort of as these little paper puppets going on, these little animations. They went on uh, Good Morning Canada. They are depicted as the prince and princesses of Canada in the piece and they get interviewed and they, the characters come on holding two signs saying we love privacy <laughs> and then he starts to interview them talking about the prince's book called what? <laughs> and he says you wrote a book reporting on the royal family because you hate journalists but uh, you wrote a book about the royal family so you're a journalist and then they storm off and go on a worldwide privacy tour and like that's funny it's funny it's funny yeah so but, you know, back in December, uh, the Sussex's global press secretary, do you dream of a day where you ever have a global press secretary, uh, Louise McSharry? I just want someone to check my emails for me. That's literally all I want. Yeah, and may for all films to be 90, <laughs> 90 minutes. Um, Ashley Hansen said, the Duke and Duchess have never cited privacy as the reason for stepping back. This distorted narrative was intended to trap the couple into silence. In fact, their statement announcing the decision to step back mentions nothing of privacy and reiterates their desire to continue their roles and public duty so great. They didn't want privacy. No, but in Make fairness, clear. that was from before South Park, right? Oh, you know, that's yeah. the thing. It was last yeah. December. But their new statements come out that people are saying they're going to sue because, you know, they're so controlling and they want their image and da 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 Yeah. Um, but they responded to the claims that they're pursuing legal action saying it's all frankly nonsense, totally baseless, boring ports. Well, this is the thing. What I think is hilarious about this is that it is a perfect demonstration of exactly what they spoke about in the series. Because South Park had a clip in it. They didn't say 
anything. Mm -hmm. The paper started reporting that Meghan had been upset for days and that, you know, she was crying endlessly and like all this stuff. No, no, you know, no real evidence of that. Just saying a source has told Mm -hmm. us this. And we know that sources could be, you know, pulled out of people's arses like. Um, and, And then eventually they have to go this is ridiculous. Like, none of this is, mm-hmm. is true. Like, mm-hmm. this is nonsense. I I have, you look, I don't think that Harry and Meghan are perfect people, but I think they have a sense of humor about themselves. Yeah. Like, I feel like they're capable of laughing at something. Like, that is genuinely funny. And also, South Park goes for literally everyone. Yeah. You yeah. know, I would be honored if it's South a, Park it's a started marker. slagging me off. It's a marker. So, yeah, I know. It's a marker for Markle. It's a marker for Markle. <laughs> themselves, Louise. <laughs> um, okay. Um, okay, so then I wanted to mention briefly uh, Molly May. What's her surname again? Haig. Haig. She was on Love Island. She is one of the biggest influencers in the world, I think, really, uh, at this point. Uh, Molly May went on a treadmill. She had a baby recently. <laughs> she went on a and treadmill. People had opinions. Goes on treadmill. Yeah, I mean, literally, it's another one of those. People had opinions and the newspapers decided to write about it. Of course, yeah. So she's been documenting her return to the gym. She had her baby Bambi at the end of January and she's been sharing a few stories of her on the Stairmaster and the treadmill doing squats and lunges. Um, You know, she's put up selfie saying some serious toning is needed but I'll get there in time. And so she's three and a half weeks postpartum and I think there's advice at the NHS, NHS website that says, you know, maybe you should wait till six weeks. Anyway, she consulted with her midwife yeah. They gave her the go-ahead to do gentle exercise. That's what she's doing in documented. But like, you know, like you said, she can't win. No, people went mental. They were like, it's too soon. You should be spending time with your baby. I saw an article that was written in a paper. Molly May, so you should be cuddling your baby, not on a treadmill. And then other people are like, when you're on a treadmill, you are promoting um, unfair body image for women and for other mothers. You're making other mothers feel bad. And like, and then other people saying, you know, other people will be looking to her for her, quote, snap back so she is obviously under immense pressure as someone who is you know in the public eye at that level and Mm -hmm. for wearing clothes and for looking a certain way like literally she can't win yeah and the thing is there is some there is a conversation always I think to be had in terms of the pressure on women post having a baby in terms of how they look and how their bodies respond and I don't think it's great when women are on Instagram, say, in a bikini being like, look at me, it's been six weeks. And they're like back to their pre-baby body. But that's not what she did. She got on a treadmill. <laughs> Give the woman a break. Yeah, she's one, She's excited to get her fitness back. She wants to do like, it. It's her body. Let her do exactly. what she wants. Who cares? Yeah. It's wild. And then also that the whole cuddle your baby brigade, like the, the most annoying thing that people said to me after I had my first baby was enjoy the cuddles. I couldn't enjoy the cuddles. I was having Mm -hmm. a terrible time. Mm -hmm. And all I wanted was 10 minutes to have a shower Mm -hmm. on my own. Mm -hmm. Like that, you know, enjoy the cuddles. Like, fuck off. That Mm -hmm. was all I could think Mm -hmm. anytime someone said it to me because I couldn't appreciate it. I was in such a weird, dark place in my head. I was so sleep deprived. I was so damp. Every part of my body was damp every minute of the day. If I wasn't leaking from the breast, Uh I was leaking from the vagina. (laughs) Like, I couldn't there was puke on me at almost all times like you know so this whole you know you should be enjoying the baby thing it just really frustrates me like Mm -hmm. if she gets a break from the baby for half an hour and wants to go on the treadmill let her fucking go on the treadmill 
Like, why are we policing the way women mother? It's yeah. so infuriating. <clears throat> but did someone say that to you recently? Or someone said, commented, I'm sure they get it, I'm sure, no, I'm sure you get it all the time, but like, where are your kids? You didn't spend time with your kids. Yeah. Because like, I don't post them do? on my Instagram. Yeah, because like, whatever, if you, you t- put a few stories up, it's like 30 seconds of your day. Yeah. What are you doing for the other 24 hours and 50, 23 hours and 57 minutes? And You just, I mean, truly, if there's one thing I've learned since becoming a mother, it's that you cannot win at being a mother in other people's eyes. So all you can do is do your best. And, you know, I I always say to people, I I always say, sorry, as I said (laughs) that, I was like, you sound like a dickhead. But like when I talk to people about that period, I'm like, you have to trust your own instincts. And if your baby is laughing or smiling or your kid is smiling and laughing and if they're fed, you know, you're doing great. Like that's literally all that matters. How you do it, how you manage your day, like that's entirely up to you. You've got to do what works for you in your house, in your life, in your family. And maybe that means you're on the treadmill. Maybe that helps your head. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just ridiculous. The policing of women's bodies is a problem, yes. But the policing of the way that women parent is also a problem. And um, yeah, I will say I did enjoy the cuddles the second time when I had my second baby because I was in a better headspace. Mm -hmm. But you just don't know where people are, you know? Yeah. Everyone's on their own little journey, babes. Uh, leave Molly May alone. Not something I would have expected <laughs> to be saying, but like, leave her alone. Leave her Life alone. is hard enough, Esther. I know. Can we not leave each other alone? I know. And she's like, she's part of the whole system as well. And she's feeling this she pressure. Is, yeah. So she's, um, she's a victim of it. And she's also inside the system. And yeah. she's also pushing these, you know, so, but it's very difficult. So let's not turn against each other. We're all trying to support each other. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing. And yeah, of course, you know, I don't think that Molly May has made every brilliant decision you can possibly make in terms of her career and stuff. And I do think that, you know, there's no question that women in the public eye can contribute mm. to pressure on other women in terms of, you know, the postpartum yeah. period. But like, I just think if we all just like fucking just stopped telling new moms what to do and how to live, it would just be so much better. Yeah, I mean, she like she's modified her body and, you know, with fillers and whatever, she's had Botox and veneers and she's talked about that, you know, Mm. and she's dissolved all of that, Mm. you know, work and stuff because she is with it as a a woman, a a younger woman looking at images on Instagram and then feeling like she's got to modify her body that way and then coming on that journey herself. Yeah. I mean... So it's very complicated. No, it is. Because as you say, she's in the system and she yeah. she is the system and she's a victim of the system. But sure, we all are because that's the patriarchy. Yeah. We support her. We support Ireland both. We support <laughs> Paul Maskell's shorts. We support <laughs> Irish. But thank especially you. Paul Maskell's shorts. Yes. Esther O'Moore Donahue, thank you so much. Uh, Sunday thank Roast you. is back. It's coming back. We went for our first roast on Sunday. So we're going to record maybe an episode tomorrow, but it'll be in the next couple of weeks. Okay, great. If you haven't checked out that podcast, that's Esther's podcast with Emer um, McLeisett, who you know as co-author of the Oh My God, What a Complete Ashing books. And of course, she contributes to this slot as well. Um, It is so lovely and wholesome. If you haven't listened to season one, go Mm -hmm. and listen. Goodbye, my friend. Goodbye, Louise. Thank you so much for joining me this week. I so appreciate it. I appreciate each and every one of you who chooses to listen. I know it is a choice to spend time with me every week and it means so much to me that you decide to do it. Don't forget if there was anything that you heard today that made you think, hang on a second, or, oh, I wish they'd talk about this or any other thought, you know, if you disagree with something that I've said, if we've made a mistake, all of that feedback is welcome. 089-209-6423 is the number. Send your voice notes. I love to hear you. It's great to hear your voices and great 
to have a bit of discourse. Um, and as I said, I package up those um, voice notes and respond to them in a bonus episode, uh, which is available over on the Patreon. And there's a link to that in the show notes. It's five euro. And you get two extra episodes a month um, or an extra episode every second week, I suppose is a better way of uh, phrasing it. In terms of recommendations, I don't have loads this week. Um, I will say I'm super excited about watching Fleischman is in trouble. I've been dying to watch this since I read about it. Um, it's got an amazing feedback in the US. It's been out for a good few months in the US. And now it's on Disney Plus. It arrived this week. It stars Claire Danes. It stars Jesse Eisenberg. It stars Seth from the OC, Adam Brody, my teenage crush. Um, and by all accounts, it's absolutely brilliant. So I'm going to get absolutely stuck into that tonight. I hope, my friends, you can have a good week. If not, one foot in front of the other. As I always say, we will get through it and we will talk again next Friday. Thank you so much to my brilliant contributors and to ACAST for having me on the network. I will talk to you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.